0: So if you could tell, first tell me what you had for breakfast, just to test.
1: I had some sneaky pastries from the bakery, which I shouldn't have had, but uh, mm-hmm. I was I was able to steal a few. Excellent. Uh, Louise Bannon's specialities, and they're incredible. Yeah. That together with a good cortado, and that was enough. That was me set up for the day.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Cereal from Farmerama. This is a bonus episode featuring an interview with farmer, miller and mill designer, Fintan Keenan.
1: I'm based in Denmark, where I've been for the last 12 years. And for six of those years, I've been working together with Pia Gruppe, who's a bit of a legend in the whole grain and milling world. That's basically where I learned my craft of uh, old varieties of wheat and milling, um, and the whole knowledge around growing them, especially organically. And right now, I'm actually spreading that knowledge back um, to Ireland and helping people wherever I can with, uh, you know, the skills required in order to be able to get this whole movement off the ground.
0: Can you explain a little bit about why certain producers produce stone ground? rather than roller milled flour and some of the advantages and disadvantages of that?
1: Ooh, Tricky question. Um, Basically you have two camps of people. You have people that are really pro stone ground flour and religiously believe that that is the best way to make flour and then you have the camp that says no I want roller mill flour. The two are very very different and it kind of all comes down to what type of bread people are wanting to make. I think there's a middle ground and I think that's what we should be aiming for. And that's kind of what, one of what I'm trying to develop. It's it's what the mill is like in Denmark. Um, it's what the mill is like that I built in for Karen Springs in Washington State. Um, I recently completed a mill as well in southern Idaho using the same principle of roller mill combined with stone mills. And the advantages of that are that you can get completely different types of flour that you can just with a roller mill or just with stone mills. Your options are much wider and also it has the benefits of the steel rolls doing a lot of the hard work before it gets to the stone mill but you still have 100% stone ground flour um, if you choose to do that or you can send 80% of it through the stones or 50% of it through the stones or you can send you can mill entirely on the stone mills themselves if you want to. But I think that's what we should be aiming for as well because it opens up much more options for the miller and for the baker. In a commercial roller mill system, you will have 20 roller mills. So you'll have break rolls and then you'll have fine rolls. Um, And basically what they are trying to do is extract as, as high a percentage of flour out of that as possible, but removing all of the bran. So, and that's where you've got your oils. That's where you've got your flavor in the bran. And that's completely taken away because they want to prolong shelf life that's what the the end result of the roller mill system is is something that is long lasting can be put on a shelf for a year or two years and who knows how long it's stored in the silo before it's even bagged and then shipped out when you take the the stone ground flour you don't have that life expectancy you just have 9 months shelf life and it has to be used but what you what the aim of of trying to get fresh flour back in is Exactly that, fresh flour, something that's milled and used within a week or two of it being milled, preferably on the same week. Um, Because the enzyme activity is something that is is super necessary if you want to make good bread, not something that's completely dead and void of life.
0: In the the combined system you talked about, Mm -hmm. you don't lose the nutrients. Can you just clarify that?
1: No, in the combination with the roller and stone mill, no, you don't. Um, You've got different options of when you send different parts of the grain kernel to the stone mill, or you can send that directly to the silo, so everything is retained. You can do 100% uh, whole grain flour, or you can do 80%, but everything can go through the stones. The only difference is you're sending it through the roller mill first to, basically, on the first set of breaks, um, you're shaving the kernel, and so you have very large bran flakes coming off with some of the, the germs still attached to that. But that has been ground up in the stone as it passes through. Um, and the, the benefit of that is you're doing the hard work previous to the stone. So the lifespan of the stones is prolonged because the hard work is done prior to that, which means that you have to less redressing on your stones as opposed to sending the grains directly onto it and it's much harder, it heats the flour more and therefore you're going to have to maintain your stones longer and if you're doing that in a commercial production where you've got, you know, if you're milling 500 kilos an hour um, and you're doing this continuously, you know, 52 weeks a year or 50 weeks a year you don't want to be pulling your stone mills apart every three weeks to redress them you want something that's so that you can focus on what you're really good at and not spending all the time maintaining something. And back to your to your answer is, yes, everything is retained in that system. I kind of have this... I'm, I'm veering off a little bit. I have this idea that, you know, having small-scale regional mills that have a capacity of somewhere between 500 kilos and 1,500 kilos an hour, um, dotted all over the place, not just here in, in the UK or in Ireland or in Europe, but, you know, all over the world, where we can start to localise grain economies. So it's benefiting everybody. It's benefiting the farmer, it's benefiting the miller, it's benefiting the baker, it's benefiting employment from people doing logistics. You know, So it's, it's, a, it's an all-round winner, um, as opposed to having these large commercial mills that are doing 200 tonnes an hour, um, and then the grain has been imported from Manitoba or Kazakhstan or Ukraine, which is madness. It's something that we need to address and we need to change the sooner the better, because in the face of climate change, it has to happen.
0: Going forward, if we're looking to these relocalized grain economies, mm. you know, what do we need for the future of top quality grain systems?
1: Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, we need reskilling. Um, we need new tool sets. Basically it comes back to the the infrastructure has been dismantled and it has to be rebuilt and that includes re-educating farmers, building local grain economies in terms of infrastructure, grain drying facilities, grain processing facilities and grain milling facilities. And that's, you know, it's complicated and it's costly. But if we want that to happen, that's what needs to happen. That's what needs to come into action. And... You can see it's starting to happen you know there's a lot of enthusiasm out there there's a lot of people that are questioning the way that they're farming at the minute there's a lot of people questioning the products that they are buying in terms of flour so there is an interest in it and there's a demand from it from the bakers but it's going to take a lot of work in order for that to happen to get growers on board to get varieties out there and also like we're dealing with complex cases as well with in terms of weather you know, it's become really unpredictable. When we want to harvest, we can't. When we want to seed, we can't. Some years you can't plant winter wheat because it's too wet. You know, these are all problems that we're going to encounter again and again, and they're becoming more severe. One of the biggest things that we need is sharing of information. And that's one thing that is not necessarily very common among people because there's this perception of like oh i have this knowledge this is my grain i don't want to give you that but it's what's going to have to happen if we want to change the system and that's going to have to come from the bottom up it's not going to come from the top down so we're going to have to have these grassroots uh, structures in order to be able to reestablish local grain economies which is really exciting and especially i believe with the new generation of farmers you see people like Fred Price, you see Oscar here at Dutters Farms, you see Farmer George. And when you speak to them, that enthusiasm is just like, boom! You know, it's incredible. And if we can get so many people like that fired up, who are interested in it, that's going to be contagious. And that's what's going to help grow this local economies. We have an amazing opportunity in terms of a global collaboration. It's not just here, it's not just regional. I think the sharing of information which I've just spoken about is something that is happening from Australia, to the States, to Argentina, to here in Europe, you know, and it's incredible. And I think with the drive and enthusiasm of that, this will happen. You know, it's not a question of how can we make it happen, it's already started. The wheels are in motion, but we need more events like this like PX Plus where we're at right now, so that we can get this collaboration, we can get farmers, millers into the same room as bakers, as chefs, we can start talking about our food system, we can start talking about where it's coming from, we can start talking about the problems and then find solutions and make all that happen. So it's not just about the grains, it's also about the industry of food as a whole. That even comes back to travel, transport. You know, It's all part of the bigger picture and it's something that we have to address and one way of doing that, like we're talking about our daily bread and butter, and that's literally what it is, you know, and that has to change. It is happening, but it, it it's, we need to gear up. It it needs to happen a little bit faster. Some people think, oh, you know, you just chill out a little bit. But it's, I, I, I don't think we have the time to chill out. I think we need to get this rolling now as fast as possible. And that's why, you know, events like PX Plus here is really exciting, because you walk into that bakery and it's almost impossible to leave because of the conversations you're having with somebody about something and then two minutes later you're off on a tangent in a completely different direction but it's all related it's all relative um, which is fascinating and it's really inspiring you know my my head is spinning when I leave here I'm just going to be like okay what's next what are we going to do what do I have to do you know Uh, which is really great
0: Serial is possible thanks to generous support from the Roddick Foundation. Subscribe to Farmarama to hear the rest of the series. You can find us on your favourite podcast app, on SoundCloud, or at farmarama.co. If you enjoy the series, please do spread the word. And if you'd like to support Farmarama, visit patreon.com forward slash Farmarama. Serial is produced and edited by me, Katie Ravel, with Abby Rose and Joe Barrett. Susie McCarthy and Hannah Sutherland also worked on the series. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett. A huge personal thank you to everyone who's helped make and share a serial.